Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A man with a blue beard holds a terrible secret, and once discovered, unleashes a nightmare. A demon has been married to a child, but how? And Toy Story, but set in 1855. Welcome, my well-read, scholarly, erudite, and learned listeners to your literary dose of classic fairy tales. I have for you three stories and some light author knowledge in between to tickle your earbuds. So grab yourself a hot beverage, get yourself as snug as a bug in a rug, a suitable saying for this time frame, and let's listen to some classic tales. Bluebeard There was a man who had fine houses, both in town and country, a deal of silver and gold plate, embroidered furniture, and coaches gilded all over with gold. But this man was so unlucky as to have a blue beard, which made him so frightfully ugly that all the women and girls ran away from him. One of his neighbours, a lady of quality, had two daughters who were perfect beauties. He desired of her one of them in marriage, leaving to her choice which of the two she would bestow on him. They would neither of them have him, and sent him backward and forward from one another not being able to bear the thought of marrying a man who had a blue beard. And what besides gave them disgust and aversion was his having already been married to several wives, and nobody ever knew what became of them. Bluebeard, to engage their affection, took them with their lady their mother, and three or four ladies of their acquaintance with other young people of the neighbourhood to one of his country seats, where they stayed a whole week. There was nothing there to be seen but parties of pleasure, hunting, fishing, dancing, mirth, and feasting. Nobody went to bed, but all passed the night in rallying and joking with each other. In short, everything succeeded so well that the youngest daughter began to think the master of the house not to have a beard so very blue, and that he was a mighty civil gentleman. As soon as they returned home, the marriage was concluded. About a month afterward, Bluebeard told his wife that he was obliged to take a country journey for six weeks, at least, about affairs of very great consequence, desiring her to divert herself in his absence, and to send for her friends and acquaintances to carry them into the country, if she pleased, and to make good cheer wherever she was. Here, said he, are the keys of the two great wardrobes, wherein I have my best furniture. These are of my silver and gold plates, which is not every day in use. These open my strong boxes, which hold my money, both gold and silver. These my caskets of jewels, and this is the master key to all my apartments. But for this little one here, it is the key of the closet, at the end of the great gallery, on the ground floor. Open them all. Go into all and every one of them, except that little closet, which I forbid you, and forbid it in such a manner that, if you happen to open it, there's nothing but what you may expect from my just anger and resentment. She promised to observe, 
very exactly whatever he had ordered, when he, after having embraced her, got into his coach and proceeded on his journey. Her neighbours and good friends did not stay to be sent for by the new married lady. So great was their impatience to see all the rich furnitures of the house, not daring to come while her husband was there because of his blue beard, which frightened them. They ran through all the rooms, closets and wardrobes, which were all so fine and rich that they seemed to surpass one another. After that, they went up into the two great rooms, where was the best and richest furniture. They could not sufficiently admire the number and beauty of the tapestries, beds, couches, cabinets, stands, tables, and looking glasses, in which you might see yourself from head to foot. Some of them were framed with glass, others with silver, plain and gilded, the finest and most magnificent ever was seen. They ceased not to extol and envy the happiness of their friend, who in the meantime in no way diverted herself in looking upon all these rich things, but because of their impatience, she had to go and open the closet on the ground floor. She was so much pressed by her curiosity that without considering that it was very uncivil to leave her company, she went down a little back staircase, and with such excessive haste that she had twice or thrice liked to have broken her neck. Coming to the closet door, she made a stop for some time, thinking upon her husband's orders, and considering what unhappiness might attend her if she was disobedient. But the temptation was so strong that she could not overcome it. She then took the little key and opened it, trembling, but could not at first see anything plainly, because the windows were shut after such moments, she began to perceive that the floor was all covered over with clotted blood, on which lay the bodies of several dead women, ranged against the walls. These were all the wives whom Bluebeard had married and murdered, one after another. She thought she should have died for fear, and the key which she pulled out of the lock fell out of her hand. After having somewhat recovered her surprise, she took up the key, locked the door, and went upstairs into her chambers to recover herself. But she could not. She was so much frightened, having observed that the key of the closet was stained with blood. She tried two or three times to wipe it off, but the blood would not come out. In vain did she wash it and even rub it with soap and sand. The blood still remained, for the key was magical and she could never make it quite clean. When the blood was gone off from one side, it came on the other. Bluebeard returned from his journey the same evening, and said he had received letters upon the road, informing him that the affairs he went about was ended to his advantage. His wife did all she could to convince him she was extremely glad of his speedy return. Next morning, he asked her for the keys, which she gave him, but with such a trembling hand that he easily guessed what had happened. What? said he. Is not the key of my closet amongst the rest? I must certainly have left it above upon the table, said she. Fail not to bring it to me presently, said Bluebeard. After several going backwards and forwards, she was forced to bring him the key. Bluebeard, having very attentively considered it, said to his wife, 
How come there is blood upon the key? I don't know, cried the poor woman, paler than death. You do not know, replied Bluebeard. I very well know. You were resolved to go into the closet, were you not? Mighty well, madam. You shall go in and take your place amongst the ladies you saw there. Upon this, she threw herself at her husband's feet and begged his pardon with all the signs of true repentance, vowing that she would never more be disobedient. She would have melted a rock, so beautiful and sorrowful was she. But Bluebeard had a heart harder than any rock. You must die, madam, said he. And that presently. Since I must die answered she, looking upon him with her eyes all bathed in tears. Give me some little time to say my prayers. I give you, replied Bluebeard, half a quarter of an hour, but not one moment more. When she was alone, she called out to her sister and said to her, Sister Annie, for that was her name, go up. I beg you, upon the top of the tower, and look if my brothers are not coming over. They promised me that they would come today. If you can see them, give them a sign to make haste. Her sister Annie went up upon the top of the tower, and the poor afflicted wife cried out from time to time, Annie, do you see anyone coming? And sister Annie said, I see nothing but the sun, which makes a dust and the grass which looks green. In the meanwhile, Bluebeard, holding a great saber in his hand, cried out as loud as he could, bawling to his wife, Come down immediately, or I shall come up to you. One moment longer, if you please, said his wife, and then she cried out very softly, Annie, Sister Annie, dost thou see anybody coming? And Sister Annie answered, I see nothing but the sun, which makes a dust and the grass which is green. Come down quickly, cried Bluebeard, or I will come up to you. I am coming, answered his wife, and then she cried, Annie, Sister Annie, does thou not see anyone coming? I see, replied Annie, a great dust, which comes on this side here. Are they my brothers? Alas, no, my dear sister, I see a flock of sheep. Will you not come down? cried Bluebeard. One moment longer, said his wife, and then she cried out, Annie, Sister Annie, dost thou see anybody coming? I see, said she, two horsemen, but they are yet a great way off. God be praised, replied the poor wife joyfully. They are my brothers. I will make them a sign as well as I can for them to make haste. Then Bluebeard bawled out so loud that he made the whole house tremble. The distressed wife came down and threw herself at his feet, all in tears, with her hair about her shoulders. This signifies nothing, says Bluebeard. You must die. Then, taking hold of her hair with one hand and lifting up the sword with the other, he was going to take off her head. The poor lady, turning about to him, 
and looking at him with dying eyes, desired him to afford her one little moment to recollect herself. No, no, said he. Recommend thyself to God. And was just ready to strike. At this very instant, there was such a loud knocking at the gate that Bluebeard made a sudden stop. The gate was opened, and presently entered two horsemen, who, drawing their swords, ran directly to Bluebeard. He knew them to be his wife's brothers, one a dragoon, the other a musketeer, so that he ran away immediately to save himself, but the two brothers pursued so close that they overtook him before he could get to the steps of the porch, when they ran their swords through his body and left him dead. The poor wife was almost as dead as her husband and had not strength enough to rise and welcome her brothers. Bluebeard had no heirs, and so his wife became mistress of all his estate. She made use of one part of it to marry her sister Annie to a young gentleman who loved her a long while, another part to buy captain's commissions for her brothers, and the rest to marry herself to a very worthy gentleman who made her forget the ill time she had passed with Bluebeard. A story written by Charles Perrault. So who was Charles Perrault? Well, he's a French author and member of the Académie Francaise and was born on the 12th January 1628 to the 16th of May 1703. And believe it or not, some of Perrault's versions of old stories actually influenced the German versions by you guessed it, the Brothers Grimm, more than 100 years later. And the more that I read of the Brothers Grimm, the more influences I seem to notice. And Perrault was an influential figure in the 17th century literary scene, being both a leader and creative in the operatic, ballet, theatre and film space. He's mainly known for his works in the fairy tale variety, with a lot of his tales being published in the tales and stories of the past with morals. I'm gonna try and say this in French. Histories au contest du temps passé. All my French-speaking listeners out there, school me if I got it right or way off. And he would write stories that were titled the Mother Goose stories. So they were basically popular rural storytelling traditions or kinds of stories that would be told in the 17th century. With Charles's most popular stories being Cinderella in French, Saint Julien, Puss in Boots in French. Le Chat Botte, The Sleeping Beauty in French, La Bella au Bois Dormant, and he'd also written Little Red Riding Hood in French, Le Petit Chaperon Rogue, and Today's Story, Bluebeard, or otherwise in French, Barbet Bleu. Talk about a literary juggernaut. And actually, he wrote Little Red Riding Hood specifically as a warning to readers about men who were trying to prey on young girls. I'll also give you a line that he wrote for one of the lessons or moralities provided by Charles for Little Red Riding Hood. It says, I say wolf, for all wolves are not of the same sort. There is one kind with an amenable disposition, neither noisy nor hateful nor angry but tame, obliging and gentle, following the young maids in the streets, even into their homes. Alas, who does not know these gentle wolves are all such creatures the most dangerous? I absolutely love that one, and I hope you enjoyed that one too. Now, on to our next story. The Demon in the Tree 
A long time ago in Germany, the rabbi's son was playing hide-and-seek in the forest with his friends. As he searched, he spied a finger sticking out of a tree hollow. Thinking it was one of his friends, he playfully slipped his ring on their finger and said the wedding vows. To his horror, an inhuman face appeared. The boy was so frightened that he ran back to town and never dared tell anyone what he had seen. Time passed and the rabbi's son grew into a handsome young man, and soon was married to a lovely young woman. The night after their wedding, he took his bride to her new home. She had lingered outside to admire the house, when a branch from one of the nearby trees struck her with such a force, she died instantly. While it was tragic, after a year of mourning, the rabbi's son was ready to be married again. After the wedding, the exact same thing happened with his new wife dying under the same mysterious circumstances. It made the community suspicious of him. After the mourning period, no wealthy families wanted him to marry their daughters. So his third bride was from a poor family that couldn't offer a dowry. This bride was different, though. She was a hard worker, clever, and observant. When she stood outside to admire her new home, she noticed the branch being pulled back and avoided its lethal blow. The new bride also saw it had been pulled by an inhuman-looking woman. The bride chased the stranger down, following the stranger to her home, a tree hollow. The new bride ran back home and told her husband all that had happened. In an instant, he recalled an odd event in his youth. They both realized who the strange woman was. A demon. The wise young bride recognized that this demoness considered herself to be the true bride of the rabbi's son. As the demoness had every right to believe this, the best course of action was to appease his supernatural wife. Being so knowledgeable, the young wife knew that demons loved jam. That night, she left a plate of it at the foot of the demoness's tree. In the morning, the young bride found the plate clean, with a gold coin on it. The demoness had accepted the offer, and as long as the offering continued, seemed to allow the couple to live in peace. All was well until the human wife became pregnant. She knew all female demons were the daughters of Lilith, the child eater. Her baby would be in danger, unless she did something. She went up to the tree and called out to the demoness, what do you want? The demoness hissed from the darkness of the hollow. The human bride gathered her courage and said, I have come here because I know you are my husband's true bride. I am willing to share him as long as you promise not to harm us or our family, including our children. The demoness agreed, and the two struck out the terms. One hour every Sunday evening, the husband would come to the tree and belong to the demoness alone. As long as this and the offerings of jam continued, the human wife would have nothing to fear. And so it went for seven years. The human wife gave birth to a healthy child, and no harm came of it. The demon wife was content with her hour, and even came to protect the human family. One evening, when the husband came to the demon's tree, instead of the usual gold coin on the plate, he found the ring he had given her in jest so long ago. That's when they knew she had left them once and for all. The End This story was written by Howard Schwartz. 
with its story source from Lilith's Cave, Jewish Tales of the Supernatural. Let's find out a little bit more about Howard Schwartz. Howard Schwartz was born on April 21, 1945 in St. Louis, Missouri, and is a keen and widely regarded folklorist, author, poet, and editor of dozens of books, and actually won the International Corit Jewish Book Award. So if you're looking for folklore and particularly Jewish folklore, Howard Schwartz is the guy to head to. He writes mainly for children's literature and essentially keeps alive the Jewish mythology. And in my hunt for Jewish folklore, it can be a little tough trying to pinpoint where to start. When I was a lot younger, I actually found a Jewish folklore book in a bookstore. And I regret it to this day, but I didn't buy it. It's a little bit pricey, but really, I wish I had. It was specifically around Jewish folklore, ghosts and spirits. And I think I would have loved to have been reading that today. But I'm keeping an eye out for it, just in case. So Howard Schwartz is my go-to guy for now. <laughs> He's still selling books and you can find him on Amazon. So if you're interested, go check him out at howardschwartz.com. And our next and final story is The Money Box by Hans Christian Andersen, another famous literary author. In a nursery where a number of toys lay scattered about, a money box stood on the top of a very high wardrobe. It was made of clay in the shape of a pig. In the back of the pig was a slit, and this slit had been enlarged with a knife, so that dollars or crown pieces might slip through. And indeed, there were two in the box, besides a number of pence. The money pig was stuffed so full that he could no longer rattle, which is the highest state of perfection to which a money pig can attain. There he stood upon the cupboard, high and lofty, looking down upon everything else in the room. He knew very well that he had enough inside him to buy up all the other toys, and this gave him a very good opinion of his own value. The rest thought of this fact also, although they did not express it, for there were so many other things to talk about. A large doll, still handsome, though rather old, for her neck had been mended, lay inside one of the drawers, which was partly open. She called out to the others, Let us have a game at being men and women. That is something worth playing at. Upon this, there was a great uproar. Even the engravings which hung in the frames of the walls turned around in their excitement and showed that they had a wrong side to them, although they had not the least intention to expose themselves in this way or to object to the game. It was late at night, but as the moon shone through the windows, they had light at a cheap rate. And as the game was now to begin, all were invited to take part in it. Even the children's wagon, which certainly belonged to the Corsair playthings. Each has its own value, said the wagon. We cannot all be noblemen. There must be some to do the work. The money pig was the only one who received a written invitation. He stood so high that they were afraid he would not accept a verbal message. But in his reply he said, if he had to take part, he must enjoy the sport from his own home. They were to arrange for him to do so. And... So they did. The little toy theatre was therefore put up in such a way that the money pig could look directly into it. Some wanted to begin with a comedy and afterwards to have a tea party and a discussion for mental improvement, but they commenced with the latter first. 
The rocking horse spoke of training and races, the wagon of railways and steam power, for these subjects belonged to each of their professions, and it was right that they should talk of them. The clock talked politics. Tick, tick. He professed to know what was the time of day, but there was a whisper that he did not go correctly. The bamboo cane stood by, looking stiff and proud, but he was vain of his brass ferrule and silver top, and on the sofa lay two worked cushions, pretty but stupid. When the play at the little theatre began, the rest sat and looked on. They were requested to applaud and stamp or crack when they felt gratified with what they saw. But the riding whip said he never cracked for old people, only for the young who were not yet married. I crack for everybody, said the cracker. Yes, and a fine noise you make, thought the audience, as the play went on. It was not worth much, but it was very well played, and all the characters turned their painted sides to the audience, for they were made only to be seen on one side. The acting was wonderful, excepting that sometimes they came out beyond the lamps, because the wires were a little too long. The doll, whose neck had been darned, was so excited that the place in her neck burst, and the money pig declared he must do something for one of the players, as they had all pleased him so much. So he made up his mind to remember one of them in his will, as the one to be buried with him in the family vault, whenever that event should happen. They all enjoyed the comedy so much that they even gave up all thoughts of the tea party and only carried out their idea of intellectual amusement, which they called playing at men and women. And there was nothing wrong about it, for it was only play. All the while, each one thought most of himself, or of what the money pig could be thinking. His thoughts were on, as he supposed, a very distant time, of making his will and of his burial, and of when it might all come to pass, certainly sooner than he expected, for all at once down he came from the top of the press, fell on the ground and was broken to pieces. Then the pennies hopped and danced about in the most amusing manner. The little ones twirled around like tops, and the large ones rolled away as far as they could especially the one great silver crown piece who had often to go out into the world, and now he had his wish as well, as did all the rest of the money. The pieces of the money pig were thrown into the dustbin, and the next day there stood a new money pig on the cupboard, but it had not a farthing inside it yet, and therefore, like the old one, it could not rattle. This was the beginning with him, and we will make it the end of our Story. Story source from Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales. So yes, another heavyweight when it comes to fairy tales, travelogues, novels, and poems, Hans Christian Andersen is a literary high roller. Of Danish descent, born on the 2nd of April 1805 through to the 4th of August 1875, was definitely remembered best for his fairy tales. Now apparently his popularity wasn't just limited to fairy tales and to children. With around 3,381 literary works, now that could be anything, plays, novels, poems, short stories, fables, tales, you name it, all included in his repertoire of stories and translated, mind you, into over 125 languages. Goodness! Hans, you've been busy. <laughs> Known famously for and get this because I didn't know he wrote this, The Emperor's New Clothes, The Little Mermaid, The Nightingale, The Snow Queen, The Ugly Duckling, 
The Little Match Girl, and Thumbelina, amongst loads of others. I had no idea that Hans had written so much and had influenced so many of my most favorite stories as a child. It goes to show how long-lasting the stories mustered up by Creative Mind is. And next episode, I'm going to be doing more of his stories. Let me know what you think by leaving a comment or emailing me directly on stories, fables, ghostly tales at gmail.com. And especially so if you have a favorite. I would love to narrate your favorite fairy tale story on this show. It doesn't have to be Hans Christian Andersen. It can be any. So if you have a suggestion, send it my way. So thank you so much for listening, you lovely listeners. I hope you have a fantastic start to your day. Drink plenty of tea. My personal favorite, Earl Grey. A wink wink, a nudge nudge. Or for those in the evening, have yourself a fantastic night. And I'll see you next episode for some more fairy tales. As always, till next time.